Station. I can't get no call to action, but I try and I try and I try. Hello and, and welcome to Call to Action, the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing, advertising, and beyond. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term band wagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp and I'm Giles Edwards. Today, I've caught Luke Sullivan. A man whose book on advertising is so iconic, it's coined by many as the creative Bible. Luke is one of the most talented blokes in the business, having spent 33 years in Adland at shops like Fallon and the Martin Agency. Hey Whipple, squeeze this. Soon to be on its sixth edition is Luke's definitive guide on how to make an ad that doesn't totally suck. And it's helped generations of young and old creatives do just that. Luke says, the ability to write a clear sentence is probably the most important single ability we can learn. The ability to come up with a decent thought and then be able to express it in an interesting and succinct way. What's more relevant to the communication business than that? Welcome to the show, Luke. Thanks for having me, dude. And I called, I called you Giles earlier, and you're so polite that you didn't correct me. <laughs> Inside, I was seething. <laughs> right, Luke, no problem. Uh, we've got seven quickfire questions, Luke. So number one, Mac or PC? Oh, Mac. Writing or reading? Both. I'm sorry, they're, they're, they're just totally connected. Bill Burnback or David Ogilvy? Say it again, please. Bill Burnback or David Ogilvy? I don't know Bill Burnback. Well, should I? Who ah. is he? Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna overload your email inbox with um with all sorts of my oh, favorites. I, I suck. I just write to uh, and, and log your complaints at biteme.com. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> number four. What's more important in advertising? Number four: to be funny or be interesting. Be interesting. No question about it. Right, this is another preference one for you for you specifically. Practicing advertising or teaching advertising? Well, I just finished 10 years of teaching it, but I then did, you know, some 30 years, uh, 33 years of practicing it. Are you asking me to choose? Yeah, if you can. Practicing it. Cool. George Lois or George Whipple? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Mr. Lois has the nod on that one. Oh, brilliant. I love his book. Squeezing fruit or squeezing toilet paper? Uh, so I hope your, your folks have seen the famous, uh, hey, what, Mr. Whipple, don't squeeze the Charmin campaign from the 60s. Uh, uh, I'm going to have to say a fruit just so nobody has to even see in their mind those horrible commercials. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna include a link to that very ad for this episode because I wonder, and we've got a question coming up about it. In fact, so we don't I don't expect you to answer this now, but I wonder how many people actually understand that reference anymore. Let me guess what the question is: is that uh, why do you have a name? Hey, Whipple, squeeze this. 
uh, where it refers to a, a commercial from the 50s and 60s that none of your readers or possible readers have any idea what that is. And every four years when a new edition comes out, the publisher and I have a big chinwag about it. And uh, we both agree there's too much equity in the title. The first three pages explain why Mr. Whipple, why it was such a horrible campaign and why it was so successful. And the reason why it was so successful is they spent a trillion dollars on it. Uh-huh. So the question then becomes of the whole book is why do anything creative when all you have to have is a trillion dollars and you can just hammer your way to first place as Sherman did over Scott's uh, toilet paper? Well, I feel like we're in too deep for me to turn around from this question then. But the actual question is uh, from a, a senior creative at an agency called Known, uh, Mike Rovner, who, who sent this in. And he actually asks, given the age of most current creatives, even at CCO level, what would you replace Whipple with if you had to update the uh, gazillionth printing of your iconic book? And he even suggests, hey, flow, ensure this. Hey, Gecko, or hey, Ryan Reynolds. But I'm sure there's a, it's quite a tricky question, really. Oh, that's funny. Uh, what, what, well, right now I'm, uh, I'm, I'm creating content uh, with uh, four other advertising authors who I called because I love their books. And we're creating sort of a Zoom video chat. Uh, and uh, one is a guy named Thomas Kimeny, who wrote a book called Junior, Writing Your Way Ahead in Advertising, which is just a marvelous read. Uh, then there's a new book out by a guy named Cameron Day, who's the son of Guy Day, who founded Shiat Day. And he wrote a book called Chew With Your Mind Open, an advertising survival guide. Yeah. Uh, I've, got my, I've got my friend David Baldwin, who wrote The Belief Economy. Uh, uh, and then finally, um, uh, Nancy, um, Nancy Vonk, who was at Ogilvy in Toronto for a long time, uh, where she uh, came up with, uh, among other things, um, uh, uh, diamond, diamond, diamondies. What do they call those uh, for the um, shreddy? Diamond shreddies. That's diamond shreddies. Diamond shreddies. Oh, one yeah, of the best. Yeah, one of the best campaigns. I adored that. Ever. And then also, of course, the uh, real, real beauty for Dove. Uh, and he, she has a book called uh, uh, "Darling, You Can't Have Both," which is what some uh, actual creative director told her when she said she wanted to also have, have a great career and have a family. <laughs> and so. Darling, you can't have both another advice to ignore on your way up. Yeah, <laughs> what a great subtitle. Well, look, just to um, just to take this right back then. So typically, call to action, we like to start by celebrating the both the linear and more often not so linear paths that guests take to where to get where they are. You're someone who's been in the business for over 30 years and you've helped generations of young creatives make their mark through Hey Whipple Squeeze This. But before we do get into that, can you tell us what was your first ever job? And then what was your first ever kind of proper advertising job? Wow. Well, that's a, you know what? That's so great. I tell my kids, or I told my kids uh, this until, up till uh, last semester I taught, was that there's no bus leaving on graduation day that has the word jobs written on it. And if you don't get a job right out of school, you're not a hack. <laughs> It'd be hard to see your friends get jobs over at cool agencies while you're still waiting for a, for a, an interview. Um, but the fact of the matter is you can spend a good, who knows, a year, your gap year may be handed to you. Um, uh, I, I uh, majored in psychology because I went into college thinking I wanted to be rich like my dad, who was a doctor at the Mayo Clinic, 
my very, very first score of my college transcript is a big fat F in chemistry. I realized um, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this for forever. So I switched to the only other thing that looked interesting to me, which was psychology. But when I got out of college, a BA in psychology was kind of like Sherman. And I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't do anything with it. Uh, but I, went, I needed to work. And so I uh, took my, my college degree and I went to work as an unskilled laborer uh, on construction sites for, um, uh, for about, about four summer, four years, um, about four years, uh, knocking the, uh, I would knock the, uh, the ceilings out of, of abandoned, uh, 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 brownstones in downtown Minneapolis, wearing a cloth over my face and big goggles as the dust fell into my head, a hot third floor of these apartment buildings for quite a long time. Uh, as I did all this, I, was planning my takeover of the world as any as, as any young, <laughs> uh, hotly hotly uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for aggressive young male should should be doing. And uh, I, I uh, the next chapter of the story is I was in my mom's basement. Okay, and I'm looking. She keeps she keeps a box of each one of our her six sons, right? A little box of mint, mementos. And I'm going through all seeing all the things that I did as a kid. She saved it all. And I saw, I just, I wrote little books and then I got heavily, heavily into comic books. And, and as I just went through it all, I kept seeing words and pictures and words and pictures. And I came up out of my mom's basement knowing advertising. I knew then and there, that was the sweet spot. Uh, um, uh, from there, I, I knew I wanted to be with words. And so I joined a local newspaper, uh, one of those neighborhood newspapers, perhaps you have them there. Um, and uh, I was the editor of that, and I got to sell the ads and had to write the story, had to do it all. And when I started putting together these little ads, uh, I said, this is fun. And from there, before I got into the business, I went to a department store downtown, the advertising department, where I was the typesetter working on the new photomatic photo typesetter, whatever it was called. Uh, and it was there that I finally got a call after harassing him from Tom McGilligan. Uh, Luke, this is Tommy Gilligan. I just about dropped my blob. That's really nice. I, I love your bus analogy there. And, and I love that increasingly as I talk to people like yourself, that people so rarely take the short route into advertising. It's often very, very scenic. Yeah, it is. We, we, a lot of us are, uh, we're the island of misfit toys. You probably heard that. <laughs> we are. It's a lot of people come into advertising who didn't train in it, didn't do anything with it. a lot of agencies kind of like that in their in their recruits they don't they don't have to unlearn anything about advertising yeah but you yeah the thing is but you learn so much on those scenic routes that you then bring to the game which i think lots of people miss out on if they go if they go direct so then um we're going to leap forward a few decades here but at what stage were you inspired to write hey whipple squeeze this how did that come about when you were, because you would have gone into agencies. How did you first find that in agencies? And then what led you to put everything you knew in this? Book? I was asked when I was a kind of a mid-level, I was always mid-level at Fallon, when I was asked uh, at Fallon to go give a speech at the Portfolio Center in Atlanta, USA. And um, I'd seen other speeches by other agency people, other ours and others. And they usually were just kind of big shots who come in with their three-quarter inch reel tucked under their arm play their best spots, and then fend off a few questions and then go home. Uh, I always found it unhelpful. It didn't help me as a junior. It didn't help me. My wheels turned. So I decided I'm going to just, I'm going to jot down 50 things that I know you need to know in this business. 
So they and then I put them on slides. Okay, remember when presentations were on slides? No, you don't. You're forty. Anyway, anyway, uh, and I gave this I gave this lecture down there, but I'd also prepared a handout, a uh, piece of paper, uh, stapled together, uh, uh, stuff to to do. And on the cover of that was just a picture of Mr. Whipple with a big red X through it. I didn't have the title at the time. It just it said how not to do this, basically. Um, that turned out, somebody called me later and said that that handout is now a screensaver at several agencies here in Atlanta. And I checked it out. Yeah, it was. It ended up being a most requested, at least up to the time, most requested reprint from AdAge. And I realized, wow, there's a hunger wow. for, for real no bullshit and not the sort of heavy handed advice that's coming from books like Ogilvy on Advertising you know, handed down from the Bronze Age of advertising, which is some advice, like the kind of advice you, 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 you're sitting with a friend at a bar who's in the business and they're, they're giving you advice. Hey, buddy, come outside. You should try this and try this and try this. Yeah. And it, uh, it just seemed right. Amazing. Is that what makes it feel so special, that it is like advice you'd give a buddy, not something that was... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But I, I, would, I would say to every copywriter, that's how you should write every ad and every letter home to mom and, and every screen, not screenplays. I'm, I'm getting too big there. But it should all be you, it should all be you talking, you talking. Uh, I've, I've given this advice to many copywriting students and art directors is when they're kind of stuck and they just, I can't get my pen to move. I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't know. I say, well, you just quit trying to write. Quit writing. And just talk to the page. Just talk to the goddamn page and say, well, the reason why, the reason why you should try this new car is because it, it blah, blah, blah. Just talk. Uh, so that's kind of the approach I took with the book. Uh, I, just, I just dropped a swear word there. Um, uh, and the only, I didn't do that in the book. Uh, my father-in-law's own piece of advice, and I took it. Um, um, no. But, yeah, just don't, don't try to write. Just shut up. Just talk. <laughs> I love I love talk to the page. I love talk to the page. I mean, obviously, it makes it sound so easy, but actually, I suppose it's more of a more of an approach to just relax and stop thinking you're doing something anything other than just talking to the page. Yeah, anything special. Oh, I am now copywriting. Close the door back there. I'm, can't you see? I'm copywriting. <laughs> <laughs> and let's talk. Uh, it, it adds uh, it adds immeasurably to your authenticity and the believability of your voice. Uh, an authentic voice uh, isn't always completely convinced it's right. Uh, witness our, our our last president. Um, an authentic voice has uh, has um, knows it's a human and that it, it's just an, most everything is just an opinion, with the exception of facts. Um, uh, and it comes through in marvelous kinds of very uh, intangible ways. A, a voice that is authentic. Is that something that you inherently knew early on in your career, or is that something you had to try and fail elsewhere to then realise that? How did that kind of come to you, that, that approach? No, I, I'd have to give this one to my original mentor, Tommy Gilligan. Uh, when I was setting type, typography over at that department store, I found the local ad, advertising annuals of the local awards show there in Minneapolis, and it was uh, all Tom uh, McGilligan and Ron Anderson at the time. And uh, that was the first time I ever saw what advertising could be. And it just, it just changed me because up till then it was Mr. Whipple. Uh, and it was just uh, crap. Uh, but to hear these, to hear this intelligent voice, this intelligent voice on the page 
uh, putting things so succinctly or putting things in way I've never ways I've never thought of them before and reframing old thoughts into new thoughts. It just it just changed me. Uh, he also Tom had a nice he sharpened his teeth uh, as a writer and, and by that I mean he did not mind going after um, a BS. He did not mind uh, taking a swing at the competition or uh, saying the, the stuff like it is. Uh, it just his voice was authentic. And it was so much more powerful than every other ad I was reading up to that time. As you know, we have um, we have invited listener questions, as we always do with all our episodes. Um, but we actually had um, a record amount submitted uh, for this episode. So I'm actually going to weave quite a few in as we talk naturally so that I can stick to only having the official two uh, that we usually have at the end of the episode. But we had a question from David Moore who's based in Australia, and he said, what was Tom really like? Uh, I just saw Tom last um, uh, summer. I had a long talk with your David Dye um, uh, about his conversation with Tom. It, it made me want to have my own, and so I, I did find Tom and uh, went out to his house there. Uh, and um, uh, he's no longer interested in advertising, which, you know, everybody who's retired gets to be. Um, and he gave me, uh, in his first years uh, uh, out of the business, he learned how to be a very good, uh, I guess you call it potter, clay, you know, making clay things uh, uh, when he was living in Hawaii. And uh, I just about tipped over when he gave me and signed my, my own flower vase. <laughs> um, yeah, from Tom McGillian. What, he's, what, is, what he was like then was very soft-spoken, uh, but he could laugh. He could get a huge belly laugh going. And I love doing that. If, if I may not have been good at writing uh, back when he first hired me, but I could get him going pretty well. And uh, he just he just loved to laugh. Um, uh, he didn't like to he didn't like to. Uh, he wasn't, a, at least to me, he was never brutal. Uh, he just he would just wrinkle his nose and say, I think you ought to keep working. Uh, this isn't it. Um but he never kicked you around like a lot of these infamous creative directors do think that having a man bun and a bronze and a bronze lion qualifies them to kick people around. Yeah. Uh, Tom was Tom was a very soft spoken, very articulate though. When he did think you had something there, he would he would point you in the right direction. So I owe everything in my career. Uh, it started with Tom McGilligan and eventually worked at his agency after he was no longer there. I didn't go follow him from Bozell, where he was, and I was, to Fallon. But I did end up working at Fallon uh, years after he'd gone. That's, that's really, nice. It's really nice to hear. And you, and you and I were talking uh, briefly before we started recording this episode about how significant and important it is to have a mentor in this industry. Oh, Rory, I, 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 the, the, the interview you did with Drayton, Yes. Um, yes, man. Oh, man. He sounds like he was at Ogilvy. He sounds like he was just a great mentor. And when you find a mentor, when you can find a senior creative person whose work you respect, and they're the kind of people who have the time and the inclination to help young people, you just wrap a chain around their ankle because there's no finer way to assure your own success. Now, the deal is, uh, not all good creatives are good creative directors, as you probably know, and not all creatives are good mentors, uh, and not all good creatives are good professors, as I, I, I became. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a special uh, skill to be able to 
to interpret things and put them in certain ways so that you see the lights go on in your students' eyes. So uh, when you find a mentor who can help you see things and reframe things and simplify things and lead you along the way, tell you a couple, watch out for a couple of potholes and skeletons and closets, man, oh man. In fact, that's why I wrote, hey, Whipple, I, I was lucky I had several. But so many people out there, and I've been reading this more and more, the agencies, because we're just getting so squashed by, you know, the scope of work assignments from clients and the crushing money, is that mentorship is just kind of, there's no training. Mm. So uh, what you get in school is good. And then uh, that's why I wrote the book. But mine is not the only book you should read out there. There's lots of good books to help you get better at this stuff. It's a really good point, actually, and I'd, I'd never actually made that connection previously. I think the we could obviously go to town on things like the billable hour and how much squeeze there is on agencies nowadays. But of course, as you've just said, one of the things that there is therefore no time or no room for in agencies, probably as a, as a byproduct, yep. is, is mentoring. You're absolutely right. Yep. As we record this, or in fact, as this episode is released, we will probably be a, about two weeks away from the sixth edition of Hey Whipple, which I understand is available from Feb 23rd, but it's available to pre-order. So that date is largely irrelevant. You should go out and buy it, people. I would probably wait till after. Don't tell Amazon I said this, but I think their pre-order price is a little high. And if you just wait a little while, it comes down. Ah, okay, <laughs> great. There you go. There you go. What a lovely, honest tip. So it's on the sixth edition. So I was going to ask you, what can we expect from that sixth edition? And presumably... What's changed in advertising that you felt another update was needed? And just so you know, I'm, I'm also going to ask you later what hasn't changed. Well, I can answer both in the same breath. The, what hasn't changed is roughly the first four chapters. Uh, and now, they're not without change. I took most of the examples that are in there and updated them with fresh work from the last two, three years, just to keep the book visually current. Um, but those first uh, three chapters, four chapters actually, are about the, the, the nuts and bolts and the blocking and tackling of concepting uh, and about strategy. And uh, that stuff doesn't change much. They're, they're just precepts uh, and certain creative techniques that I, I teach, you know, a freshman college student, you know, for instance, uh, to get the interesting visuals, you know, put two things together that don't belong together. That's just a very standard sort of little creative exercise. That should be part of any training uh, to get you to start thinking how to put things together that don't belong together, maybe perhaps increase the tension in, 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 the, in the visual. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, so much of the early stuff is, uh, it's actually all been improved. It's all been rewritten slightly because every time you look at your own work, you can improve it. Uh, but it's after that that the book starts to uh, uh, really change. Um, I've added uh, I, the, the copywriting chapter is something I put off improving for the longest time. I don't know why. I think it's because I am a copywriter and I didn't, I wasn't confident enough to just really swing for the fences on it and just, just go for it. So the copywriting chapter is, is, is much larger, much better. Uh, uh, and uh, I've added a whole chapter on creative technology, which is now, of course, just sort of a the, the job description, job title in many agencies. Uh, with lots of fantastic examples. The social chapter, there was one in, in, in addition to five, but the social chapter has all new examples. But also I, had, I interviewed two brilliant people, one Andy Blood, who's a, uh, down there, in, uh, he's a, down in Auckland, uh, who uh, was a huge a TBWA uh, creative star, but then last five years of his career, creative strategist at Facebook. 
And then I talked to Andrew Keller, who just a superstar at Crispin, and then is and is now a, still a, a creative director at their sort of in-house think tank that helps brands uh, get on the platform. And both of those guys together, and they knew each other, uh, helped me reframe how how to look at the social media area and and how to kind of a how to create campaigns uh, in what they call a brand uh, echo space, an echo system. Uh, in the social sphere. So thanks to those two guys, uh, there's a new whole new chapter on branded content, which is just the way to go. And then I'm most, I'm most happy with the vastly changed last chapter on how to get into the business. Uh, I taught for 10 years in the last five years, I had a special class called career strategies and advertising. And it was all about putting your portfolio together, perfecting your portfolio. It's UX, uh, uh, fixing everything about your online branding, uh, and then creating a job search strategy and then going out and interviewing and getting a job. So that's a big, probably the fattest chapter in the book at the very end. And uh, that's that's my, myself on that one. Yeah, no, good, good stuff. That was, um, that made complete sense. I've actually got the timeline of the, of the books, uh, the book covers in, in front of me with the, the years they were released. And my very crude quick maths shows that this latest edition is, is, uh, is six years after its predecessor, yeah. whereas normally they're four or five. So actually, this is the longest gap. It is the longest gap. I was uh, I was teaching, and, and I just enjoyed the hell out of teaching. God, I loved it. I loved it. And, um, and that's why I first wrote the book. The book is about teaching, passing on stuff that you know, and all the stuff in the book, by the way. I might have thought of some of it, but all of it's just stolen from <laughs> stolen. You know, hey, that's smart. Can I use it? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. And so it's just everything I heard and found along the way to help students improve their game and get into this cool business. Very cool. Well, can I ask you to put your professor hat on just for this question then? Because sure. you mentioned there about having that kind of visual tension. And I wanted to talk to you about leveraging conflict and tension to get to better ideas, because that's something that I remember from the book. Um, and I know it's something that you talk about really well. So can you explain what you kind of mean by that? And and, and how that helps your creativity. Absolutely. Clearly, clearly, you read the book. That's in the fifth edition as well. It's also in the sixth. This idea of using, I call it, and it's a speech that I give, a presentation, a webinar, a seminar I give, to, even to agencies in, uh, in the UK, by the way. Um, uh, it's called Leveraging Tension to Create Brand Narratives. And the, the fact of the matter is this. And I'll, I'll, I'll let's let's include a little video that we'll put in the links to you that, that sums up this whole presentation in four minutes. But the kind the idea is this: all all narrative, all narrative, whether it's a grand narrative or a fairy tale or a comic book or a sitcom or a movie, is based on conflict, on conflict. And it, I don't just mean you know wars and gun battles. Uh, a rom com: boy meets girl, boy loses girl. That's conflict. Uh, what I what I settle on in this presentation is not so much conflict or tension as opposing energies. So I suggest uh, to uh, suggest this to anybody who's just you know staring at the blank page and having a little trouble getting a narrative going is to of course look hard at your brand, look hard at your customer, look hard at your brand category, look hard at the culture, and search for conflicts or opposing energies in and around your brand or your customer's life that are relevant to your brand. And as you start making this list of just pluses and minuses, what you're identifying is antagonists and protagonists. Now, half of them aren't going to be useful at all, um, uh, uh, but but you'll be surprised 
especially when you get to cultural conflicts, uh, 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 how you can tie your kind of your brand right into the middle of culture when you can place it on top of a sort of a tectonic plate where these 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 opposing energies are grinding together. Uh, it sort of powers the campaign. So um, uh, what happens at those points of energy is story. And story just bursts out of it when you have a protagonist and an antagonist. Uh, it's a great way, even if you've got, you're looking at just a stupid brief for a, for a, a banner ad, I don't care, whatever you got, uh, uh, um, it'll help you get to a story, however big or small, but you'll have something where two characters or two events or two things or two energies appear on the stage and maybe one's your customer, maybe one's not your non-customer, maybe one's your brand or their brand, who knows what it is, but something happens. Otherwise, you're just doing an observation. Oh, this brand is more less south than the other ones. Shut up, it's boring. <laughs> we interrupt this podcast to announce that we will never interrupt this podcast with ads. Ads that awkwardly nudge you to contact the pod's host, Charles Edwards, on 01189-952-007. Only the other day, some pod listening companies did just that calling for guidance on strategy and brand identity. But we're definitely not asking you to do that. Nope. Anyway, back to the show. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Yeah, of course you didn't, Bill. I, I, in fact, there's a, there's a quote of Here we go. viewers where, where you've spoken about this before, and, and I love it. You say, creativity happens in response to a problem, not a solution. And I think that last comment you made about the solution, you know, this thing is softer than this competitor. I mean, who gives a shit? Like, give me something interesting that's going to stick. No kidding. And that's in that little video, which we'll put in the links. Uh, it, it describes that. It's the most, most creative briefs provide a solution. And providing a solution is like cutting to the end of the movie where everything's fine. And nobody, you know, if you were two hours late to a movie, would you go in for the last five minutes? Of course not. It's not interesting. It's why it's why policemen uh, say, move along, nothing to see here. There's nothing to see there. They cleared it all away. It's yeah. just the end of the happy movie. Nobody cares. I know, and, and, and it's partly because of what you've just been uh, saying for the last few minutes in, in our quick fires when you answered that it's important to be interesting yes i recorded an episode with richard huntington who to my mind is one of the smartest people in the game in the uk he's he's um he's the ceo of uh, sachi and sachi's at the moment and he's he basically says i'm gonna i'm not gonna do his quote any credit here because i'm probably gonna say it slightly wrong but it's better yeah. to be interesting and wrong than it is to be right and boring <laughs> I'll, I'll, if we didn't have Trump in the world and, and uh, the lack of reality in most uh, journalism, I, I'd agree with that. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he means in terms of an objective to yeah. get the customer's yeah. attention. But yeah, no, you're right to put that caveat. Sure, on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No. You mentioned also that when it comes to, to, to teaching, which obviously you enjoyed so much, that you, you no longer do that. So you're not currently a professor. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. Um, I, I was a professor and I wanted to continue being a professor, but the school where I was teaching, Savannah College of Art and Design, a school where kids still get a great education to this day, but I'd always had differences with the management. Um, yeah. uh, they, just, they, they value money more than students or faculty for that matter. And um, uh, they did do the shutdown like most colleges did. And we were all teaching remotely. Uh, that's fine. But they decided they didn't like the optics of having 
no classes open. So they started to force professors back into the on-ground uh, classroom setting. Mm. And I said, no. Uh, and they said, yes. And I said, no, I'm not going to risk my life, however much I love my students. And they called that breach of contract, uh, wow. uh, forced me to resign, and then fined me $5,000. So screw SCAD. But there's the students who are still there, because of the professors, you are getting uh, a good education. Wow. Uh, it's just in spite of the people who run it. Yeah. Um, and what do you think then, um, generally, about the state of, of creative education do you think on the whole, because I only have an understanding and some knowledge of universities in and around the UK and the standard of courses, which I think is very disparate, you get probably a majority of courses tend to be run by people who either lack any real experience in the game and certainly yeah. aren't also actively you know, practitioners in, in advertising. And I think it's, it's suffered as a result. Is that the same in the US? Um, yeah, it is the same. Uh, there are a couple of great go-to places uh, I did a little research before the sixth edition on your neck of the woods. And uh, uh, people seem to like the School of Communication Arts 2.0. It's not a degree, which is kind of a good thing because you don't need four years and a degree to get a great portfolio together. Uh, maybe you disagree, School of Communication Arts 2.0, but my research suggested that it was pretty darn good. Yeah, no, also, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of Mark, actually. Mark Lewis, he runs the, um, the School of Com oh, Communication Arts. Yeah. Also well-respected at uh, your uh, university college at Fal Falmouth. How do you say that? Falmouth. Falmouth. Uh, Central State, uh, St. Martin's College of Art and Design, and then uh, the Watford course kind of uh, uh, is a number four in that list uh, at West Hertz. Mm. Um, so there are. there always You know what it is? It's just research. Just like, you know, a kid at a junior in high school has to go do research. If you look in the right places, you can find somebody telling you what they think the best places are. I added, uh, I did, I did that through in Europe. I looked up the best ones in Europe and talked. <laughs> excuse me, talked to people uh, in Europe. What, what's your opinions? I got had uh, friends in uh, Sweden and uh, friends in India, and, and, and I managed to put together a very, very short list. Uh, here in America, it's uh, there's a, also a number of places. Even a, the occasional normal university like Syracuse has a pretty great program, and the University of Texas Austin. Pretty darn good. And uh, Deborah Morrison out at the University of Oregon, uh, in Eugene, Oregon, pretty great. Uh, and then there are, are these portfolio-only schools, which may appeal to many of your peeps uh, because they don't want to spend four years chasing a degree. Most of these portfolio schools are two years. And the fact of the matter is, it's not a degree you're getting. You're getting a portfolio. And so as soon as you think your portfolio is ready, you can yank the cord and jump. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, uh, I just say, um, well, just it, it's it's in the back of Hay Whipple, um, last chapter. Uh, just a little research should you'll start to hear the same names bubble up again and again. And yeah. like you said, some some great creatives end up being really crappy teachers. You know, even even uh, even at some of these good schools, I'm sure they have some really great creatives who get up in front of the class and just put everybody to sleep because they don't know how to sell themselves or sell this industry or sell ideas or sell possibility or sell the explosive, you know, the leverage we have when we use uh, the, 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 you know, the concepting and the power of technology to just make ideas go nuclear. Uh, and, and when you can get the lights go on in their eyes with all the energy and possibility, that's, that's really the difference between teaching and just reading from a book. 
absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll also add, I'll, I'll just give a quick shout out to the University of Lincoln who have one of my good mates, Andrew Bolton, is a copywriting and creative writing lecturer there, as is Giles Lingwood, um, both fantastic copywriters. I know, I know, Giles. Um, I'm, I'm making notes because there's always reprints of the editions. Um, this is Lincoln. Yeah, the University of Lincoln. So Giles wrote uh, Read Me. Oh, yes, that, that, that's how I know it. I read that. I loved it. Yeah. And Andrew wrote uh, Copywriting Is. Yes, I know both of those guys. I know both those guys. I own both of those books. So if they're both there, that cannot suck very bad. No, no, that's... it doesn't. Yeah. No, not at Good. all. Not at all. Wonderful. I've got, well, as I said earlier, I've got hundreds of listener questions, but I'm going to put two to you if I can. Asking the general public for their opinion, be it on Brexit or boat names, is notoriously fraught with danger. But that's not stopped us asking. So we have two. The first one is from Caroline Barclay, and she is a brilliant copywriter, very witty writer uh, based in Adelaide, I believe. And she says, if Mr Whipple was a, quote, bad idea, but sold lots of charming toilet paper, what makes an idea good? Oh, that's a really, really smart, great question and very hard to answer. Yeah. <laughs> I'll buy you some time, actually, Luke, because you did say at the start that they spent trillions, you know, they spent a, a hell of a wedge on it. So maybe that helped. Well, you know, here's I'll, maybe I'll just simplify it instead of trying to give an all-encompassing answer that just solves all questions and makes all the reporters in the room leave. I'll, I'll, I'll just throw out this first one. It, would you, if you saw or heard or walked past this idea, would you share it? To me, that, that does, it does solve a lot of things. Number one, it just brings in the whole social world. But what it says is that I will share things. I will not share an ad. Now, I might share a really great you know, TV commercial that just rocks. Um, but overall, what we share is interesting things. I would not send a, it's like I wouldn't send a salesman over to my buddy's house. Um, because even if I knew they were looking for that thing, why I'm just not going to send them some horrible ad that says, oh, I heard you're looking for a car. Look at this horrible car commercial. If I see something that makes me go, well, grind with envy, that's another thing, but that's just an in-house sort of response, advertising response. I say a good idea is one that, People find interesting, and I won't even say customers find interesting, because branded content, at the heart of branded content, is that you've come up with something so interesting uh, that it's interesting even to people who don't need your brand. It's just cool. You know, I mentioned uh, 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 Andrew Essex's book, uh, you know, The End of Advertising. He put it very well. He said uh, the Lego movie was, I, I happen to love the Lego movie. It's about 10 years old now. Um, <laughs> And he said the, the Guardian's film critic called it uh, um, not a great film, but a brilliant commercial. And it was. And that's branded content at its core because it's interesting in and of itself, regardless of whether I have a kid or I'm into the Legos myself. Yeah. If, if something is interesting to anybody, they're more likely to share it. And when it hits the people who are into that thing, of course, it's going to resonate much higher. So, yeah, I'm going to stick with that answer is, is the thing. Is the idea good enough to share? Yeah, good answer. But you've just jogged my memory when you mentioned the uh, film critics. I don't know if you ever saw the uh, the movie version of Cats, which got so slated. But one of the, 
one, one of the UK uh, reporters or critics, sorry, said the worst thing to happen to cats since dogs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lordy. Um, question two is from uh, David Moore, who's also based in Australia. He, he's asked a question, and I'm interested to know your answer. He says, what is the value of advertising awards? Um, I, I grew up on them, okay? So you're talking to an old guy. Uh, I grew up on them. Uh, I just recently finished scanning every page of and then giving away to my students uh, 40 years worth of one show annuals and CA annuals. Uh, and, uh, I, and I didn't have as many DNA D annuals uh, in my collection there. But um, we, Tom McGilligan, when he hired me, he, he handed me his stack of one show and he called them the Graduate School of Advertising. Um, he put me on and off. He didn't have work for me the first month I was there, uh, but he knew this big, ugly job order was coming that he wanted to give to a junior. And um, he said, read these, read them all. And by reading them all, he meant read the body copy, learn who the writers are, who the agencies are, who the art directors are, uh, study the architecture of all the ideas, uh, read the scripts, learn. It's like immersion in, in a language. You, you, you immerse yourself in French and you finally get better at it. So that's, that was the value to me. They kind of were my textbooks on, on how to do this stuff. Mm. Uh, I'm taking all those scans that I, I did from those things, and I'm, I'm putting them up a, a couple of, a, a, a month or so at a time of, of uh, this vast collection of things. And I parse them into things like all copy ads or you know, visually interesting ads. Or, and then I, bar, I parse it into agencies as well. I've got a lot of Abbott Mead Vickers, as you probably can guess. And other great agencies from, you know, Goodby to Wyden, uh, Fallon to Martin. Uh, and they're really, they're my version now of these one show books, which I hauled around for 40 years. And finally, uh, last year, year before, I finally said, I can't haul this stack anymore and turned them into things. So that's, that's number one. Number two, the one show, I think, is abandoned uh, books altogether because so much of it is digital now. Um, Here's why it matters. In every craft, you start off as an apprentice and you work towards being a master. How do you become a master? You study the masters. So you need to, and I tell my kids, and it's written very clearly in, in the last chapter of Hey Whipple, is you need to study the one show's annual digital collection of, you know, they collect print and outdoor and all this stuff, but it's online now mostly. You need to study DNA D's uh, 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 annual collection of brilliant stuff. And then, interestingly, you've probably heard of it, Giles, because it's just it took the world by storm, at least the ad geek world by storm last year. And I met the, uh, the pair that did this. It was that, that, that site called uh, um, uh, Love the Work. Yeah. Love the Work More. Love the Work More. And um, they got tiny. These were students. So actually, they, they were just juniors at an agency in Ocean, by the way. Um, and this uh, young woman I talked to, a copywriter there, uh, said she didn't have money to go past uh, Cannes, you know, big-ass uh, paywall. And uh, what student does? So they just brilliantly built an entire workaround. They took the con list and, and you know, here's the golds, here's the silvers, here's the bronzes for every year. And they're building it backwards now. I think they're back to 2016. And they just created this wonderful clickable list of here's all the golds. Uh, click on it and, and the case history or the spot or the thing itself appear. Uh, it's called lovetheworkmore.com and it's absolutely brilliant and I, 
I give them credit by name in the book because it's such a boon to students. Yeah, great answer. It's hard, actually, I find, um, to answer that question when you look at, I suppose, the vast differences between the types of um, awards which are available nowadays. And here's the other thing, and I'll say this. When I first started off, uh, I couldn't have won a one show, but I could probably win something in my local show. And it's like Little League, you know, you, you don't get... You don't get major league players when they're in second grade, uh, but you do. You do. Uh, you train them, and it feels like a good local game. Uh, it's like the the what do they call that? The farm league, I, I think they call that, yeah. where where you get a chance to see how well you're doing, and see if your stuff scores in some of these smaller local shows, which I think is just great for juniors. Uh, little victories, man. Uh, little victories. It's a big deal. Very good. Right, so the, the final part of the interview, Luke, is our four pertinent poses that we put to all of our guests. Uh, starting with, number one, what advice would you give to your younger self? Um, as a recovering alcoholic uh, an addict, um, I would have said, go to treatment, you, you douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> um, but that aside, it took me a long time to uh, face, face, uh, face down that dragon. But... Um, even had I not had that problem with me, I was too full of myself, as many young people are. Uh, they're just all all energy and, 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 and vector, no direction. They're just they're just blowing up with ideas, and they just want to start impressing their fingerprint on the world of creativity or advertising. Yeah. Um, and uh, and they're usually, as most young people are, they're sort of anti-authoritarian because. They've seen so much bullshit, they just said, no, we got to do it a new way. And so I was the same way. I was no different. And I came in um, uh, pretty sure that I was God's gift to advertising. And I wasn't that bad. Um, but um, I didn't listen enough. Yeah, I didn't listen enough. I listened just enough to not suck and throw my entire career away. But had I listened more than I did, because I had these fantastic mentors and... I wished I'd just listen. And I don't just mean my creative mentors. I wished I'd listen to account people and to strategists and people who knew more than I did about any given subject, but I was just too headstrong. The fact of the matter is we get better by listening. We get better by listening. And so I wished I'd done that from the get-go, but I didn't. And it took me a long time to eat my humble pie or humble crow, whatever that saying is. (laughs) And, and get my shit together. Yeah. Well, you, you say it took you a long time, but I, I would suggest there's people out there who've had their entire career and never really realized that the, you know, what's the saying? There's we, there's a reason we've got two ears and one mouth. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, right. great advice. Uh, number two, if you could banish one thing from the industry, what would it be and why? Oh, come on. Everybody's going to answer the same thing. If they don't, Anybody who answers this with any other answer than what I'm about to give you, just kick them off the show. <laughs> right? if the, answer, the correct answer is new business pitches. New business pitches are a bane on the agency, on the agency business. And I can't think of any other uh, business where, where uh, industry where businesses are just told to give their ideas away uh, to create the best thing they can in two and a half or three weeks. Uh, it's just horrible and wrong. And I don't know what the answer is because anytime, even if you get five great agencies saying we're not going to pitch business anymore, well, all the, all the, all the runners up are just going to pitch their asses off and, yeah. and 
do an end around that. Well, I'm I'm delighted you said that, Luke, um, because it's something that I rant about very regularly. In fact, as we record this, a very, very smart finance chap called Tom Lewis in the UK has shared a collection of research that he's done that I was fortunate enough to participate in. I'm one of six agencies who've contributed to this new business piece, and it's all about how to win business better i.e. by never giving away any of your time, never giving away your ideas. And in fact, one of the points I made in this in this pamphlet, this piece, is that we've actually won pitches by refusing to pitch. And we've ah. you, you, you either, what I find is you either end a really bad conversation or you start a really good one when you stand up for the value that your agency offers. Wow, that's really great. And this, this smart friend of yours, Sounds like he's doing it the right way. He's talking to clients the way clients are here. He's probably it's a very evidence-based, uh, very strategic, uh, and not just sort of the whining, which is what I did most of my life. <laughs> yeah, well, me too. But the, but the, 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 the depressing reality, Luke, uh, I think we are episode 80 of Call to Action, and I, I'm pretty sure that's never come up. So um, oh. I'm going to have to bin the last 79 episodes. Yes, just go tell them that I gave the correct answer. <laughs> yeah, you win. You win that question. Um, number three, are there any books that you would recommend to our listeners, aside from yours, which we, of course, we would link well, to? I mentioned them earlier in the broadcast uh, uh, when I uh, when I talked about uh, other books. You remember I mentioned uh, Junior by Thomas Kinley. So uh, earlier in the broadcast, I think we, but you could cut this part and we don't need it. Yeah, we'll, we'll link to all of those books that you mentioned. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and then number four, Luke, is we, we always dedicate every episode to someone and we bestow that honour to our guest who has to give the reason why. So would you kindly do the honours? Lordy, I love that uh, tradition. I think it's really great. And uh, um, 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 just last week, one of my very best childhood friends died. Uh, his name was Tim Desley. When we were kids, him... Uh, 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 my little brother and me uh, made, uh, back then, we were just making silly videos. Uh, we were making what you would now call today content. <laughs> um, we we just had a camera and we got we bent mom's ear to, to buy us, uh, you know, undeveloped 50-foot uh, reels of Kodak film. And we just, we loved doing, uh, loved doing film tricks and making shit disappear, going backwards or uh, and we did a lot of very silly things. And maybe four years running, we did this. And I realized he was my creative partner. Early before I knew what creative partners were. Well, I guess I did know John Lennon, Paul McCartney, the best in the, in the history of partners. Hmm. But he was my first creative partner. I did other creative things, but there were solitary uh, acts, you know, like painting, writing. But here... It was just a joy to work with my, Tim and my little brother, Colin, and we would make the silliest things imaginable. Um, uh, and so it's with a, a thanks and a hat tip to my old friend, Tim Desley, just passed away last week, uh, that I dedicate the episode. Well, that's a wonderful uh, dedication, Luke. This, this episode is very proudly dedicated to Tim Desley. <laughs> As a, as a final call to action, then, everyone listening can head over to the episode. All of the links that we've touched on will be shared, um, especially where you can pre-order the sixth edition of Hey Whipple. In fact, no, don't pre-order it, as Luke says. Wait a few weeks and you'll save a few quid. Um, how else can our listeners get more Luke Sullivan? 
Well, I got my, uh, I just redid my uh, website um, where I'm uploading, like, for instance, the first bunch of uh, ads scanned from my year's award annuals, the copy-driven ads. Uh, you'll find stuff like that there. I have, uh, it's called heywhipple.com. It's, uh, I, I created this thing, I guess, 11 years ago. And I used to do, a, a, a work very hard on an essay a week. And some of them I'm quite proud of. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so I have other things in there, like uh, I have my, my favorite medium happens to be radio. It, I just, it's, I think it's the single best campaign I ever did in 30 some years in the business was a radio campaign. And that's up there in the nav bar. And you can see, well, maybe you'll think it sucks. Uh, you're welcome to, because this is a subjective business. Um, but that's the one that I'm proudest of. Uh, and then there's just um, um, there's links and how to hire me to be a speaker consultant, just the usual website stuff. Um, and I do hope to be posting more and more content. And I'm probably going to go political again in 2024 if Trump runs. Oh, good. Well, I hope I hope you do. And that radio ad, funny enough, I was actually going to talk to you about that earlier, but I, I feel like we were running out of time. But that's for Dunwoody Technical School. Yes, the, cli- yes. the client never changed a single word of the copy. What happy day. Not a syllable. Well, um, we'll include a link, obviously, to heywhipple.com where people can can enjoy that ad and, and so much more of your content, Luke. So um, I can't thank you enough, Luke. It's, it's been a massive pleasure and a real privilege to talk. I'm, I'm just thrilled to talk to your audience. Hey, everybody, and Adelaide and... And I don't want to try to say the names of some British suburbs. <laughs> Falmouth. Hopefully we've got some in Falmouth yes. and Lincoln and all that. Yeah. Thank you to uh, everyone listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share it and review the pod. Uh, buy the book. Keep questions and guest requests coming in. To get in touch, it's easy to find Gasp online. You can check out CTA pod on Instagram or just email hello at calltoaction.co. Try and I try and I try.